Hello, and welcome back to another episode. I am your host, Katie Haley, and welcome to the podcast of Katie Explores, where Katie explores. You guessed it from the title. We are learning about plankton today, those little guys that we very rarely see. Before I get into our deep dive, I do want to mention that I have a website, and on that website, I post my script in the form of a PowerPoint presentation. So it's a little bit more visually engaging, and it also contains my work cited so that you can also reference the papers or the websites I'm talking about. So please go check that out. Have fun. Learning's fun. That's why we're here. But without further ado, let's get into it. In the plankton realm, we have two big hitters. We have phytoplankton, which are the plant-like ones, which, you guessed it, they make their own food through photosynthesis, hence plant. Then we have zooplankton, which these guys are animals and protists. I was kind of confused when I learned this because I'm like, animals, my idea of them is things with legs, feet, you know, so what? But this does make sense in the marine environment because at some different larval stages of fish and invertebrates, these guys can't swim yet. They truly have to go with the flow. Then we have some other ones that are a little bit more complicated, but kind of interesting. My favorite is the Portuguese man of war because if you haven't seen one already, check out my PowerPoint. But these guys are plustons. These are plankton that live on the water surface, and they can get pretty big. Portuguese man-of-wars have a gas chamber. It's like an internal fart. It's as if a cell wall is just surrounding a fart. A very pretty one, though. A little digression here for you. I could not help myself. But when I was researching plankton, I came across marine viruses, the other little guys that also inhabit the water world. This one paper from 2007 by Subtle states that viruses kill approximately 20% of the oceanic microbial biomass daily, which has a significant impact on nutrient and energy cycles. They further state that the estimated, oh my gosh, you're going to flip, the estimated 10 to the 30th viruses in the ocean, if stretched end-to-end, would span farther than the nearest 60 galaxies. What? All right, but back to plankton talk. One of the two heavy hitters we just learned about, phytoplankton. In my head, I think of these guys as de grasse of the sea. These are the producers in this environment. Everything needs it. Everything eats it. And I really, since we're unfortunately doing audio right now, it's kind of hard to visualize these guys. So I want you to start thinking about how function leads to structure. What would they look like? What do they want? These organisms want an environment to be accessible to them, but they also want to be a little protected. They want to try their best. So we have diatoms and coccolithophores, both having an exterior that they have built. Diatoms have a silica shell that has a lot of pores and ridges. I'm sorry if you have tryptophobia, it could be a little triggering for you. But then we also have coccolithophores that they really remind me of the Death Star 
It's a lot of calcium carbonate plates that come together to form a sphere. And actually, when these guys die, they sink to the bottom of the ocean and they create chalk. So what you're drawing either, a lot of people don't use chalkboards anymore, but say sidewalk chalk, yeah, that's some dead animal you are making art out of, which is kind of poetic. Who knows? But last but not least, we have dinoflagellates. These do not have an exterior like the other two, but if you remember that one desktop background, it's kind of, it's a Windows background, but it's of a night scene of a beach and there's like a wave that crashes on and the entire edge of that wave is all lit up by luminescence from these dinoflagellates. These guys are also the culprits for red tide, very toxic algae bloom. And funny enough, it also inspired Alfred Hitchcock for his movie Birds. We can go into that another time, which is very fascinating. But these guys really support the entire marine system. Our other heavy hitter are the zooplankton, those animals. And in my head, I have them categorized as the big ones, the small ones, and other. <laughs> the big ones are so cool. These are our gelatinous friends. They are extremely charismatic. They come in colors, shapes, you name it, they're that. Some of my favorite ones are, you get a gold star if any of these sound familiar, jellyfish, comb jellies. Yes, Katie, we know about those. But do you know about siphonophores, larvacea, and selps? Something that's really cool, siphonophores, they are actually specialized colonies and they separate into individuals for feeding and reproduction floating. I have a picture here and it's really, really weird because it's just a string of these individuals. They act as a whole, but they do perform independently. It's crazy. So then we have our small ones, which are so important. Hmm, nature? I wonder if there's a theme here that the small ones are actually super important to the entire world. The entire ecosystem relies on the small ones. Who would have thought? But these are our crustaceans, so the copepods and krill. And they are, in fact, the largest group of zooplankton we have. Phytoplankton, remember, de grass of the sea. We'll think of crustaceans, the copepods and krill, as de cows of the sea. They graze that phytoplankton but they do have tendencies to also eat each other, so they are omnivores. They are huge players in the food web. Really good example are whales. They rely on mouthfuls of krill to get them by. If you wanna do a little independent research, maybe look into how whales do not dislocate their jaw when they take those scoop fills. Did you ever think of that? I didn't until a class, and I'm just fascinated by it. A lot of zooplankton can become indicator species, one of which are pteropods. I don't know if you've heard of pteropods. Maybe you've heard of sea butterflies because that is their common name, which is a lot nicer on the ears. But these guys are hollow planktonic plankton, meaning that they live in the water column. They have very thin shells, which leads them to be in danger of ocean acidification. In a way, they are a canary in the coal mine of this important oceanic health matter. 
Now you know so much about plankton, maybe than you ever did. And this is great because this can hopefully enable you to treat your, your land, your emissions, your plastic usage more consciously because a lot of our terrestrial actions affect these planktonic communities. It's also to raise awareness for these little guys. Plant blindness is a thing I have learned through my education. We like to focus on a lot of these bigger fauna, macrofauna that are super charismatic. And you see the same thing in the marine world that we love whales, octopus, which are amazing, but we also need to reduce that blindness to our plankton friends because they deserve the attention just as much. So that's all I have for you today, folks. Thanks for taking the time to learn a little bit more with me. Please visit my website just to check out some pictures if need be, or even email me to put in a recommendation for an episode topic. Who knows what I'm going to explore next? But I'll catch you next time. Bye.